This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Uh, the New Jersey primary is over. There were relatively few surprises, no real upsets, nothing where I say, holy crap, I didn't see that one coming. And, and so immediately we pivot to the November 2nd general election. It's just 143 days. It'll be here before you know it. The winner of the Republican nomination for governor was Jack Chitterelli. He will face Governor Phil Murphy in the general election. Chitterelli won his primary decisively. He won a, it was a sweeping victory. It was more than 23 points above the second place finisher. He, he won by over 75,000 votes, uh, against the nearest of his three competitors, Phil Rizzo. And, and another candidate, Hirsch Singh, I, I call him Peter Pan. Uh, he's a 36-year-old man-child who simply won't grow up. And he finished a week third. Uh, Singh's now run five times in four years. And, and my fear, my expectation is, is race number six will be here sooner before we know it, as long as his father will keep funding his campaigns. Now, now get this. And this is truly remarkable. Uh, after... After 48 years in New Jersey politics, I'm, I'm not so easily impressed, but Jack Chitterelli carried all 21 counties in the state. And for a non-incumbent, this is the first time someone's done that in a Republican gubernatorial primary in over 100 years. And Assemblyman Chitterelli, he's fresh off his victory in the Republican gubernatorial primary. He will join me uh, right here on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour at 420 to talk about the next step, his race to unseat Governor Phil Murphy. Uh, I'm going to ask him about what he's going to be talking about over the next 143 days as he makes his case to the people of New Jersey that he should be governor and why he thinks Phil Murphy should be fired. And you're not going to want to miss what Jack Chitterelli has to say. Coming up at 435, I'll be joined by Micah Rasmussen. He's the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. He's he's one of the smart guys. He's someone who doesn't take sides, and he's going to help me break down last Tuesday's primary election, uh, in which what was most certainly the year of the line, and I'll explain what that is later. So uh, trust me, you're not going to want to miss what he has to say. Uh, This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Uh, As a a state, New Jersey is very fortunate this year, and and let me tell you why I think that's the case. Uh, For for those of you who listen to the show, and and thank you for that, for those of you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. And for those of you who read the Globe, uh, you are going to hear me say this a lot over the next 143 days. Uh, In an election where the choices are Phil Murphy and Jack Chitterelli, New Jerseyans get to choose between two decent, intelligent, honorable men. They, they both come from humble beginnings. They, they both have great marriages. Uh, they both have experience in the private sector. And, and New Jersey's a state 
to be lucky, anybody's lucky, when there's a choice between two candidates and they're both good people. But these two candidates, Murphy and Chitterelli, they have very different visions on how New Jersey ought to be governed. They have divergent views on, on many issues that face uh, the state of New Jersey and, and the country. Now, now Murphy and Chitterelli are good men, but they stand for different things, and, and that's all right. That's how it's supposed to be. Voters are supposed to be able to see two candidates. They're supposed to be able to get to know them, to hear where they stand and what they believe. And, and the people deserve a high-minded discussion of issues. Now, that's what a campaign's supposed to be about. And voters ought to be able to learn what a candidate believes in and then draw their own conclusions over which one of them, Murphy or Chitterelli, which one of them they want to serve as governor of New Jersey for the next four years. And my job as a journalist is to help you learn where the candidates stand, what their record is, what their positions are on on the most critical issues facing the state, how they would govern. Uh, And it's my job that you, the the people, get to cast your votes with the maximum amount of information. Uh, now, Now, this is important. My job is not to put my thumb on the scale and tell you how I think you should vote. Uh, my job is not to take sides. Journalists are supposed to present uh, both candidates in a fair, accurate manner without bias. And, and I know that that's groundbreaking stuff in New Jersey lately, where, where journalists over the last few years seem more interested in presenting their own side than the positions that belong to the candidates. But the New Jersey Globe is aiming to fix that. So over the next 143 days, here's my pledge to you. I'm going to call balls and strikes. I'm going to present as much information as I can. Your vote belongs to you, and the, and the choice is yours, and that's my job. Uh, and that that's much more easily accomplished when the candidates start the race as decent human beings. Uh, now we can talk about issues and records and not allow this race to sink into into personal underhanded attacks from candidates or from third parties. Uh, that doesn't mean campaigns can't be fun, and sometimes they can be lighthearted. They, some of the, the things can be harmless, and, and, and that helps you learn about who the people that are running for office are, as long as we're dealing with truth and with fact. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, when I talk about lightheartedness in campaigns, a, a good example is this micro-controversy over pizza. Uh, uh, I like it when Governor Murphy trash-talks other governors who lie about having the best pizza in the United States. We, we all know it's Jersey. Uh, and I don't mind it at all when Jack Cittarelli mocks the way the governor eats a pizza. That, that's all in good fun. Uh, seriously, I don't think anybody's actually voting for a candidate for governor because of how they eat pizza. And if they do, well, that's, that's their right. But if we're going to talk about pizza and politics, if we're going to have a serious conversation about pizza and politics, which some on social media are, then I have to tell my favorite pizza and politics story in New Jersey. 
There was a man named Anthony DeFino. He was the mayor of West New York, Hudson County, uh, 1971 to 1995. He was a, a large man, both in girth and in personality. He was a larger in life and personality. And Mayor DeFino's favorite lunch was pizza. And here's how he ate it. He would buy an entire pizza, not a not a gourmet designer pie or a miniaturized bar pie. Uh, no, no way would he have considered thin crust. Uh, and he would tell the pizzeria not to cut it. And Mayor DeFino would fold the entire pie in half, and he would pick it up, the whole thing, and eat it as a giant sandwich. And he would finish it off with a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola uh, in just that one sitting. And, and believe me, during his 24 years as mayor, the way he ate his pizza was brought up plenty of times. I think uh, Congressman Albio Sirius, back then he was a, a young gadfly insurgent. He ran against the Fino, I think it was about three or four times. I think he'd agree that when... DeFino finally lost. It wasn't because of how he ate his pizza. It was about how he governed. But the best story about Mayor DeFino isn't even about pizza. It's about his preferred venue for private meetings to conduct business. Now, remember, we're talking about Hudson County, which has had a colorful history in the past. And and to put Mayor DeFino's career in perspective. He succeeded a guy named John Armolino, uh, Mayor Armolino. He had lost his leg uh, at Omaha Beach, and he served 16 years as mayor. And he, and he went down uh, on charges that he protected the Bonanno crime family's illegal gambling exercise. He, he was taking about $1,000 a week. That would be about $6,600 a week in today's value. Uh, his partner was a gangster named Joe Ziccarelli, uh, known as Joe Bayonne, and, and, and maybe someday we'll talk more about him. But anyway, Mayor DeFino decided to exercise extraordinary caution, an abundance of caution. And as the story goes, he would hold his business meetings in swimming pools. That way, Mayor DeFino could go to sleep at night knowing that the person he was meeting was not wearing a wire. So you got to love New Jersey. You absolutely have to love New Jersey. This is David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Uh, in addition to the primary elections, I'll talk at length at 435 with Micah Rasmussen, director of the Rebovich Institute of Politics at Ryder University. Uh, there were a lot of other important things that happened this week. Marcus Hicks resigned as the commissioner of corrections. This is months after reports surfaced uh, that women at the Edna Mann Correctional Facility were being beaten and sexually assaulted by prison guards. Uh, that, that I think, will be an issue in the campaign, and, uh, and I'm sure that uh, Jack Cittarelli will be, will be mentioning that as well. So uh, I, I probably probably will be asking about that. There were some glass ceilings broken. We'll talk about that with, with Micah. Uh, but please don't go away. Coming up, 420, coming up next, Jack Cittarelli, newly nominated Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey. Uh, we're going to talk about his campaign to unseat Phil Murphy in the fall. And under, under no circumstances will you want to miss one word of what he has to say. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77. WABC. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. 
I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. New York's news and talk station. Download the 77 WABC mobile app now. Well, he is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Tomorrow at 8.30 a.m., it's the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Giving you both sides of the story with New York sensibility. Tomorrow at 8.30 a.m., it's the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Jack Chitterelli, uh, former assemblyman, won a resounding victory in Tuesday's Republican primary for governor of New Jersey. Now he'll face the Democratic incumbent, Phil Murphy, in the general election. Uh, assemblyman Chitterelli, congratulations on your win. David, thanks very much. Great to be with you once again. It's a pleasure, and thank you for thank you for coming on so close after the after the primary. You you swept all twenty one counties. First non incumbent to carry every county in the state in at least 100 years. Do you do you think Republicans are now united behind your candidacy? I do. Uh, but if there are those that are not, it's my job to continue to remind them that there's one thing we all agree on, David, and as you know, that's not easy for Republicans, but the one thing we all agree on is that Phil Murphy shouldn't be reelected. So I'll continue to do what I do, get up and down the state eight days a week, and uh, continue to deliver a message that not only resonates with Republicans, but New Jersey and statewide. So your your next big decision as a candidate for governor is the selection of a running mate. I, you know, you don't you don't have to do this today. You, you've got, uh, I think, 30 days after the election is certified. But what are you thinking That's about right. now? What are you thinking about about uh, unless and by the way, Assemblyman, if you want to if you want to make your announcement now, I will not stop you. <laughs> but but what are you going to be? Lo- I love you, David. You're, you, <laughs> no one does your job better than you, David. I'm trying. Listen, I'm... I, I was asked uh, I was asked recently, will you guarantee us that your kid, your lieutenant governor will be a person of color or a female? And I immediately said, I guarantee you that my lieutenant governor will be competent. I take very seriously the responsibility of picking someone 
who can step in and do the job if something were to happen to me. And so that's my first responsibility. And I will tell you, I've been working very hard and have narrowed down the list uh, to a, a few individuals that I continue to engage with. And we'll have an announcement sometime before the end of June. You think it will be before the end of June? I do. Okay. All right. That's then, then I'm putting that on my calendar assembly. So, <laughs> so, so you, I want to talk about about some things that you you discussed in you know really over the last week, especially in your victory speech. You've you've been on this theme that Phil Murphy's not not really from here. What where are you going with that, David? Anyone who stands up and says if taxes are your issue or probably not your state, Phil Murphy said that. Anyone who stands up and says that he he wants to make New Jersey the California of the East Coast, Phil Murphy said that. I mean, we got a glimpse into, into this guy's soul. That's not New Jersey. Someone from New Jersey would never say those things. And so uh, I'll put the cherry on the cake by saying the guy doesn't even know how to eat pizza. Okay, we, we eat pizza a certain way in New Jersey, and he doesn't even know how to do that. So, um, listen, he's not New Jersey. He's out of touch with New Jersey. And this campaign will be all about a referendum on his failed record. Now, now we all know. I mean, for those you and I know, for those that are listening, Governor Murphy was was born in Massachusetts. So I I have to point out to you, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who you cite constantly on the Cam Train Trail. He was he was from Kentucky. Uh, aren't we Aren't we lucky as a country that the people of Illinois didn't say he's not from here? We should elect somebody else. All I'm saying, David, is if you're not originally from New Jersey, at least be sensitive to what's important to New Jerseyans, especially if you're governor. And so for somebody to stand up and say if taxes are your issue, we're probably not your state, or that he wants to make our state the California of the East Coast, in my mind, those are disqualifiers. And, and you talk about property taxes, and, and, and that, is, that is the issue that pops at the top of every poll, and it's, it's the issue that's been discussed in, in New Jersey gubernatorial elections for as long as I can remember. How, do you, how does a governor cut property taxes? Two things, David. If you'll notice, Phil, Mur- Phil Murphy never talks about the two crises that paralyze this state fiscally and economically, and those two crises are the property tax crisis which touches every individual, whether you own or rent, and every business, whether you own or rent. And the other crisis he never talks about is the fact that New Jersey is the worst place in this nation to do business. We're always ranked dead last in terms of business climate. So with regard to property taxes, David, we need a new school funding formula. I'm not going to leave any child or community behind, but we need a flatter and more equitable distribution of state aid for schools that will lower property taxes. And know this, we're going to take a close look at why education is so expensive. I'll never do anything to adversely affect the quality of education in New Jersey. But we're always ranked one, two, two, one with Massachusetts. But Massachusetts is 20% less expensive than we are in public education. So those are things that we desperately need to look at. And as governor, I will. So how do you do that without adding to the spending by the state? How do you do that without making state government more expensive? Here's how you do it. First of all, you need a formula somewhere along the lines of this. We're going to give each school district X for every English-speaking student, Y for every English-language learner, and the state is going to take over the cost of special ed. I don't think families should have to move just because they have a special needs child. And there is great disparity in the quality of our special needs education. As you go from one district to the next, it shouldn't be that way. But the other thing we need to put in place, David, are caps. 
It is no accident that those school districts that get the greatest amount of state aid have a cost per pupil that's off the charts. Okay? If I make, if I allow you, David, to buy my groceries every single week, I'll eat lobster tail filet mignon every night of the week. Well, I, I may make other choices for you, but I'm probably the wrong example. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yesterday you you responded to the New Jersey Education Association, the state's largest uh, public employee teachers union, about their request that you come in and participate in a screening committee. Uh, what did you say to them? What was your response for their invitation? Happy to interview as long as we can live stream it so that all your rank-and-file union members can watch it. And why is that important? Because I want rank-and-file teachers to hear what it is that I have to say in response to NJU union leadership questions. But, David, let, let's be more candid here. This is a union leadership that has given millions, millions to Phil Murphy. So the notion of them calling me up to interview me to decide who it is that they're going to endorse is insulting. So if I'm going to take part in a conversation with the union leadership, let's at least have the rank and file union members listen in. And, and they, they, they turn, I mean, I know the answer. They, they turned you down. They said, they said that no candidate's going to dictate how we do our endorsements. Uh, well, that means in the primary season, they, they turned me down by never answering the request. And they're doing the same thing here. So again, we're, we're not going to play that game. Um, I want, rank-and-file union members to hear what it is that I have to say to protect their pensions and the changes I have in mind for the public school curriculum. But the union leadership doesn't seem to want to share that conversation, but yet they'll continue to donate millions to Phil Murphy. So you weren't going to get this endorsement anyway, right? Uh, David, that wouldn't happen. I, I got a better chance, David. You and I are both Yankee fans, are we not? We are, yes. Okay, I, I got a better chance of being in the starting lineup of today's game versus the Philadelphia Phillies than the union leadership endorsing a Republican. So you're going to go, are you going to, are you going to go directly to teachers? Or are you going to make your case directly to teachers in your campaign? I am just as I'm making my case to New Jerseyans all up and down the state. And I'm confident that after these five months, we're going to come out on top. Bill Murphy's not good for New Jersey. All right now, and I'm speaking with Jack Cittarelli, the Republican nominee for governor of New Jersey. This week, Marcus Hicks resigned as the commissioner of corrections. Uh, he did it months after allegations emerged of, of the beatings and, and sexual assaults of women, uh, women that are incarcerated in New Jersey. Would it have taken you this long to get rid of Marcus Hicks? It would not have. Let, let's take a look at this chronologically. Over a year ago, the Department of Justice went in based on reports and did an investigative analysis of that prison and came out and basically called it a rape camp and put forth a number of recommendations. A year goes by. Another prisoner is raped. It leaks out. And what we find out is that none of the recommendations had been implemented. He would have been fired right there and then. But Phil Murphy had to go and spend taxpayer dollar on another commission report. The commission report came back from Mox, Matt Boxer, who's a fantastic professional, by the way. But I would not have needed that report. And let me say one other thing about my cabinet, uh, particularly with people whose responsibilities are like Commissioner Hicks in charge of corrections. I would have went in his office and said, when was the last time you made an unannounced 
site visit to any one of our prisons. And when was the last time you did that? This is uh, this is not the first time that you've you've said you'd have fired somebody in Governor Murphy's cabinet. I remember uh, a, almost a year ago you said you would have fired Sue Fulton as as the director of motor vehicles. I would have, David. I mean, listen, here's the deal, okay? I understand the whole political patronage game with cabinet positions, and nobody's done it more than Phil Murphy, but those cabinet members have a job to do. Do your damn job, okay? I understand walking in parades and all the other good things that uh, elected officials at high levels get to do, but we've got a job to do. There's a state we need to govern. We've got 65,000 employees, which is way too many. We spend $45 billion a year in taxpayer dollars, which is way too much. Do your damn job. And, uh, and I want to ask you also about, about reopening of schools. I mean, this is, this is this, some people, Democrats and Republicans, tell me this is the most critical benchmark uh, in the state, is schools reopening in September. Uh, do, you think, do you think the kids should be wearing masks when they, when they come back to school? I do not believe there should be a mask mandate for students. I believe it should be optional. The data is pretty clear. Remote learning doesn't work. I think the science is pretty clear. The virus does not spread by schools being open. And the reality is clear. Parents want their kids back in school. The governor has taken no leadership on this position, yet he's continued to take millions in donations from the NJEA. And then three weeks ago, he says, come September, kids will be in masks. Then he saw the outcry from parents, and then he said, well, we'll keep an open mind. I mean, the guy's giving us whiplash, David. Show some leadership here. And you have, you have spoken a lot over this campaign about uh, uh, deaths in nursing homes, specifically in, in veterans' homes. Uh, do you see the, the conditions improving right now? I do not see the conditions necessarily improving, particularly in the three nursing homes that are owned and operated by the state, which house a great many veterans. I just don't see it. But, David, at the end of the day, here's what you expect from your governor. Your governor's job is to protect the most vulnerable, minimize the impact of any economic catastrophe, and run a competent state government. Our governor, unfortunately for all of us here in New Jersey, is 0 for 3. And this is this is going to be obviously this is the cornerstone of your campaign. This is a uh, th- this is a little bit. Let me introduce you, myself to you. I'm Jack Chitarelli. I'm running for governor. Here's what I stand for. Here's my record. But a, a lot of it is a referendum on Phil Murphy, isn't it? Well, yes, he is the incumbent. But there's three cornerstones. We're going to get everybody to know Jack Chitarelli much better. A guy who comes from a family that's been here for a hundred years. A guy that went through the public school system, bachelor's in accounting, master's in finance from Seton Hall. Passed the CPA exam, two very successful Main Street businesses where I employed fellow New Jerseyans, someone that served at every level of government, yet term limited himself every single time. That's one cornerstone. The other cornerstone will be my very, very laser focus on the two issues that paralyzed the state fiscally and economically, the property tax crisis and our business climate. And then the third cornerstone will be the governor's failure with regard to his handling of the pandemic in nursing homes, on Main Street, and our kids not being in school. Well, Assemblyman Jack Chitarelli, a former Assemblyman who term-limited himself and didn't run again four years ago, uh, congratulations again on your your nomination, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you again soon and frequently. 
Well, David, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to the next five months on the campaign trail and next time I get to be on your show. So thanks again. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll be right back with Micah Rasmussen to talk about primary results up and down the state. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. When it comes to autism... Finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen, director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Micah, how are you? I'm well, David. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. I, I, I love smart, talking with smart people about analyzing elections. So, so start out with this. Start with the governor, the Republican primary for governor. Uh, were you surprised by the outcome? No. Um, we, we knew Jack had wide support from across all the county organizations. Um, 
I was surprised. You talk about uh, you talked about her singing in the beginning of the show. Uh, he had led everybody to believe he was the main challenger, but he finished in third. Um, so you know, I, I think Phil Rizzo surprised some people with getting eighty three thousand votes, um, more than Jack did even four years ago with his first time out. So I think if if Rizzo wants to, he can have a future in the party. Um, but uh, no, overall, we knew that Jack would do very well across the state because he was the only candidate with the financing that he had because he was the only candidate with that broad support that he had. And, and I spoke about uh, Jack Cittarelli breaking, breaking a record, the first one to sweep all 21 counties as a non-incumbent in over 100 years. That, uh, is that important? Is that significant? I think it says a couple of things. One, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Jack's victory at all, but I think it speaks to the fact that the rest of the field was not as strong as maybe it could have been, right? But beyond that, I think it also says, you know, for the last four years after Jack's first run, he stayed out there. He kept on crisscrossing the state. He was at every swearing-in. He was at every fundraiser. And I think people in the party know him across this state, and I think that that's what you saw. Um, You know, when it was really, I think he was the only guy who made a play for most of these county endorsements and county organizations supporting him. So, um, you know, they were with him. Uh, we expected them to be with him, and I think that's why it happened. And we saw a Republican turnout. Now, votes are still coming in, but statewide turnout was around 22, 23 percent. That's that's what it usually is. So is there anything we could read into that? Well, you know, on election night, I was thinking that they were going to be a little bit shy of the 300,000 mark, um, for, which which is typically where Republican primaries are in the state for governor. Um, the last two have been short of that. They've been in the 200,000 range. So the fact that they've gotten back up to that 300,000 mark may indicate that they're landing back on their feet, that they did have some interest in this primary. And and the Globe reported that Phil Murphy broke a record too. He got he got more actual votes than any other gubernatorial candidate in the history of the state. Now he was unopposed, but people still came out. Real bodies came out to to vote for him. Uh, what does that mean? Well, two things. One, it's noteworthy because he was unopposed, right? So, you know, it means that Democrats were still coming out. Um, you know, we can even talk about very popular former governors like Tom Kane and, and Christy Whitman, who saw huge drop-offs in their turnout for their re-election primaries because they were unopposed. And we didn't so much see that for him. So, you know, I, I think on Murphy's side and on the Democrat side, it's just another sign of how massive this party has become in New Jersey. And you heard... You, you heard Jack Cittarelli speaking about about where he's where he's going as a candidate and where he think thinks Governor Murphy's vulnerabilities are. Now, I mean, you and I have spoken about this before. It's no uh, no no secret. Uh, Murphy starts out as the favorite to get reelected, but but what happens? What does what does Cittarelli need to do now to to move forward and 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 take out an incumbent governor? I think he is talking about the right things when he gets us away from ideology as partisanship as much as we possibly can. Those are not going to be the issues that are going to carry the day in New Jersey. But you do have three governors around us, Republican governors, in Maryland, 
Governor Hogan, and in Vermont, Governor Scott, and in Massachusetts, Governor Baker, that really can make the argument in very blue states that um, that they provide a higher level of service, a higher level of government competence. So those are the issues he wants to really drill down on. He wants to get us away from Republican Democrat. He's not going to win those cases in New Jersey. He's not going to make you know be able to really make those cases to a lot of people in New Jersey. If you want to peel off uh, Democratic votes, if you want to get some unaffiliated votes, you've got to drill down on where I think the governor has some vulnerability. And one of the things that Jack has right in what he's saying to you is he has right the concept of the cabinet, right? The Tom Kane mold of the cabinet. When your department heads are doing what they're supposed to be, you claim the credit for that. And when they're not, you cut them off at the knees. Uh, Governor Murphy has exhibited a lot of loyalty and maybe even too much at times. So, um, you know, I think that's gotten into a little bit of trouble and it leaves a little bit of an opening for Jack. And we saw we saw a couple things this week. So, so the the NJEA is is holding a screening. I think I think we all agree that they're going to endorse Phil Murphy. Uh, the Labor's Pack, uh, uh, Labor's International, uh, which is a, uh, a building trades union and a very influential one that shows up with money and they show up with boots on the ground. They don't always go for the Democratic candidate. Are are these are these unions when they support Phil Murphy? Is that what you're expecting them to do? for an incumbent that has had decent ties with organized labor, or is each one news as they come along? Um, there are two things that are going on there, right? And this is, you have to remember, we haven't been looking at a, an incumbent running for re-election since, uh, since 2013 in New Jersey, right? So interest groups in general, not just unions, but interest groups in general do line up with who they perceive to be the winner because, you know, they've got to do business with you after the election. And if they've bet on the wrong horse, then they're not going to, um, they're not going to be in business. So, um, you know, so there's part of that. But also, Governor Murphy has given the laborers every reason to be with them, right? And I mean, he's really, um, you know, been very, very good to them in the way of um, uh, policies that are very friendly to labor, um, building projects that are, that are putting labor people to work. I think that there was every reason for that to happen. I don't know if it's news or not. But, you know, this is now them delivering for a governor who's delivered for them. If you had a bet on Murphy's reelect, where do you where do you where do you rate his chances? Well, is it too early to acknowledge that Murphy is the prohibitive favorite? Um, you know, the pandemic numbers are moving decisively in his favor. The budget numbers are moving decisively in his favor. So are the voter registration numbers always in his favor. You know, um, this is the one race, aside from our U.S. Senate races, where you get that full force of the statewide advantage that Democrats have. And every other race, you're only biting off a piece of that. But in this statewide race, you're getting the brunt of it. So, I mean, you know, this is one thing that I want to ask you about, too, because I think I know you think in terms of winning combinations and coalitions of counties across the state beyond those counties that Kim Guadagno won or for that matter, Doug Forrest or one, where do you even start to put together enough counties to realistically put Jack over the top? Or do we wind up right back to that frequent margin we've seen in so many recent elections of 300,000 for our governor's races? Shunla McGreevy, Corzine Forrester, Murphy Guadagno. This is a number we're all used to, and and it's one that that haunts me. Is that where we're going back to? Yeah, it could. I mean, look, I think the – 
Jack Chitterelli's chances start in Middlesex County. If he can't, if he can't flip Middlesex County, which is a, a largely middle class suburban county that voted for Chris Christie twice, then, you know, it's, it's, the math becomes extraordinarily difficult and he's got to do better in Bergen County than Kim Guadagno did. Simply because there's that many, so many votes there. Yeah, and, and, and I see where he can start to make a play in the South, right? So I can, I can see Atlantic, I can see Burlington. The, the Senate candidates, they had good success with, with recruitment. In, in Somerset, his own county, you can see how he makes a really strong play in those counties. But as you point out, that's really not nearly enough. He needs some of these big counties with the big numbers, and it's hard to imagine how he, how he does that. Yeah. Now, I think, I thought, 2021 uh, as a result, you know, looking at these results, I think it's the year of the, the line, uh, the organization line. And for, and for those who are listening that aren't familiar with what the line means, it's, it's as simply put as possible, uh, candidates backed by a county party organization get a preferential ballot position that, that some people say helps you win elections. Was, was this all, was this the year of the line? Am I right or wrong on that? You're, you're, you're right, but as we have talked about, you and I, it was more than the line, right? When you see uh, Valerie Venary Huddle losing by 50 points, uh, nobody has ever said that the line counts for anything close to 50 points. So, you know, that was a campaign that just didn't resonate with anybody, right? You know, and, and just didn't connect with her voters uh, the way that she thought that it would. Um, so, um, you know, Of course, we cannot deny for a minute that there is, um, you know, uh, that that primary voters validated the candidate recruitment efforts and the choices of their party leadership. That's how it works in New Jersey, and that's what happened, right? You know, I mean, activists on both sides were certainly counting on something else to happen, but at the end of the night, that's not what happened. Uh, you know, where, where our incumbents lose races, um, you know, four incumbents did lose races on, on Tuesday, uh, saw their careers come to an end, I should say. Um, and critics of the line will tell you that's the downside of a closed primary process. Voters should be making those decisions. Uh, underrepresented groups can and do wind up on the short end of the stick, but on the other hand, Union Democrats got rid of uh, one of the state's leading anti-vaxxers. Uh, they used the line that way. And Atlantic Republicans used the line to fend off Seth Grossman, who's espoused race-baiting rhetoric at every opportunity. And I want to talk to you. And you're, you're, you're gracious enough to stay after the break. And I want to talk to you more about some of these individual races. But, but one of the things I noticed uh, is that this year, in the year of the line, Party leaders became just personally engaged with these races. You had them, you know, laser focused on county committee races in Collingswood. You had, I mean, Paul Giuliano day to day in that Senate race for Gordon Johnson against Valerie Venieri Huddle. I mean, Ke- Kevin, Kevin McCabe in Middlesex, you know, practically running a campaign for mayor in a Democratic primary is, is, is this a point where where maybe some of the bosses have been maybe maybe the progressives have poked the bear just a little too much on the lines and are causing them to make sure that they win decisively? I like this observation, and you know, I've thought a lot about what your position on on the line is, and you know, I know it's you talked about how it's not your job necessarily to have a position, but but you're also such a, a great uh, a scholar of New Jersey politics, and 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 um, and such a fan of New Jersey politics, I can't help wondering the competition, the idea of making our elections more competitive, is one that's enticing, right? So, but uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that 
these organizations behaved defensively. They behaved like they weren't taking something for granted, and we saw the results of that. Um, they didn't. They, they they weren't lazy. They 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 got on their feet and they went through the motions. And um, so, in that respect, you're right. The progressives may already be making their presence felt in this argument. And and I'm really following for one. What in, interested to see what Governor Murphy does after the election. Right now, he is absolutely not going to poke that uh, bear. But once we get after the election, are we in a are we in a Woodrow Wilson situation where he bites back at the bosses? I'll be very interested to see what happens with well, the line. A, that doesn't mean that's a great reference. The legislature or anything's going to happen, but that's a, see. that's a great reference. We're going to stay on with Mike Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, so we'll be right back. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. Classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. 
Globes. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Mike Erasmussen of Ryder University. He runs the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics. Mike, let's go back to the 37th District. That's where Loretta Weinberg is retiring, giant of the Senate. Uh, the candidates were Gordon Johnson and Valerie Huddle. Uh, this one was much, you know, I thought it was going to be a little bit closer. I thought Johnson was going to win, but I didn't expect it to be 74% of the vote. Did you see that coming? No, not at all. I, I For all along, I, I thought that Huddle had um, uh, much more of a, a relationship with so many of those voters and her neighbors and that kind of thing, and that he was, that she was going to drive them out. Um, you know, like, I, like we said in the first segment, this goes beyond the line. This goes beyond the organization. This was just um, everything Johnson did was right, and everything Huddle did was wrong. You know, when you see a two-to-one margin like that. Yeah, I mean, and it... it Three-to-one, excuse me. Three-to-one, yeah, and it's... And, and look, I mean, it's it's Paul Giuliano relatively new as the Bergen County Democratic chairman. It, it, it looks like people will think twice about taking him on in the future. That's definitely the signal. And he had a lot of help, right? I mean, they threw the kitchen sink at Huddle, right? And that was not just in the district. That was a lot of out-of-district money. That was a lot of money from around the state. And, um, you know, it really does seem to have paid off. And Johnson's been there 20 years. It's not like it's a name that nobody knew either. No, it's not. And and it's the first, uh, you know, he will now be the first African-American senator from Bergen County. Uh, so, you know, it's a great victory for him as well. We can't just talk about it in terms of the loss for her. But it is it is striking that an incum- a longtime incumbent legislator, a popular legislator who didn't have problems, should have done so poorly. Yeah. And in, in the 26th district, Betty Lou DeCrosse, narrowly loses the Morris County line, and then she narrowly loses renomination. This will be the, I think it would be the first time in, since, since the mid-'80s that there won't be a DeCrosse on the ballot for, uh, for state assembly in, uh, in, the, in Morris County. Uh, one of the things that struck me there is uh, Jay Weber did a post. He said that he and Barranco spent about $5 per vote, and DeCrosse spent about $160 a vote. Wow. And, and still lost. I mean, what is what is what should that tell us about about primaries? Yeah, well, you know, it, this is the this is the real money question. And this is one we've got to we've got to really drill down and think. About. I'd love to spend a day talking with you about the line. Um, the the voters in that district validated their leaders choices. Uh, do we can we say that uh, it was because she had the line? For some people, some voters, absolutely no question about it. But it also means that the voters of that district supported, um, the Republicans of that district supported the county organization's decision. Uh, they, they believed in their wisdom, right? And that's really the question. These parties want the ability to be able to, um, um, you know, run the strategy and the campaign and the candidates that they want. And high risk for Jay Weber. He, he stood with Chris, uh, with Christian Barranco, you know, no, no secret Jay Weber, Betty Lou DeCroix haven't exactly gotten along. Not unusual for two running mates of the same party over time to, to not like each other. But he put his, he wasn't just behind it. He put his name to it. They ran a joint campaign. Uh, 
this, this and really has a strong be... showing for him. He finished three thousand votes ahead of his right. ahead of his running mate, right? You know, and I saw that she blamed uh, Tom Angelo's presence in the campaign for choking off her ability to win some votes. You know, having a running mate can cut both ways. Um, you know, I think it may have even helped somebody like Sonia DeMazo in in uh, Monmouth. But sometimes, like she's saying, and I know he was not our running mate, but he, she really attributes a lot of it to uh, votes that he took away from her. Now, I'll tell you, one of the one of the races that I got wrong is I was expecting Seth Grossman and Vince Palestina running for an open Republican Senate seat in Atlantic County. I thought that was going to be closer. Grossman's got a base on the conservative side. Uh, when he ran for Congress three years ago, he got 52 percent in the second legislative district part of the of the House district. Uh uh, he got slaughtered. It was 70-30. Uh, what happened there? He's not a retail politician, right? He's just not. Um, you know, I, I read some of the way he was spending his time. You know, he, he talked about, you know, they, they asked him, was he going to get out and was he going to meet with voters? And he says, oh, I'm stuck in the office running things. Well, if a candidate is stuck in the office running things, something's not going right. So, I mean, you know, as you know, with these low turnout situations, it's all about which voters you turn out. And the county organization cranked out the right voters. Palestina had Van Drew working for him, had Van Drew's volunteers working for him. Um, you know, they were firing on all pistons. They were not fooling around because they saw the threat that Grossman could represent and has represented in past races. And so now you have Vince Palestina. You know, I would say I would say he is right of center. Uh, he's running against uh, Vince Mazio, another proven get- vote getter. Uh, Palestina was an assemblyman. Is is that now the Senate race to watch in the state? For me, it is, absolutely. And, um, you know, as you say, he is a little bit right of center, but we're in South Jersey. We're talking South Jersey, where uh, I I think party and ideology and beliefs are a little bit right of center. So it will be an interesting one to watch. If there's been any weakness for Governor Murphy at all, it's been in South Jersey. So you're going to see that be, you know, whether or not they're going to throw that around um, uh, Mazio's neck um, is going to be a question. But uh, it is going to be, I think, one of the hottest races to watch. I'm looking for the South Jersey Dems to get really behind them, the Camden Dems to get really behind them, and uh, we'll see what happens. But, and yeah, that could be millions of dollars, right? We're not talking about I, – I, I just wanted to put it in perspective of people that are listening that, that don't follow Atlantic County, South Jersey that closely. Getting behind Vince Mazio, you could be talking about four, five, six million dollars if they need it, right? They're going to spend it somewhere. They're going to raise it and spend it somewhere. And if that's where they spend it, that's exactly what the numbers are going to look like. And without it, you're going to see a race without $5 million. With it, you're going to see, yeah. So it is It is a profound difference. The only other races that I see that, um, you know, that, that the, the, Dems, the South Jersey Dems are going to play are going to be in District 8, where, uh, where Gene Stanfield is going to be running for the Senate against Don Aviego. Right. And we're going to, you know, we should, we should talk a lot about that race going forward because that's, that's a, that's a great district. It's a, it's a truly competitive district with, with candidates that have run there many times before. They're not unknown quant- uh, entities. Uh, let me ask you about Joe Cryan's reelection. That was a, that was a landslide victory against Jamel Holly. Uh, was, was Holly ever going to be able to pull that off? No, not without, not without the county organization support. And, and it's really interesting, right? He would have given the county organization, the Union Democrats, a hard decision to make if he had tried to stay on the assembly side. He probably would have hung on. 
despite his very, very controversial positions he's taken on vaccinations, on you know what he considers to be per- personal health freedom issues, um, and he's really developed a lot of notoriety in the state. But I think he would have made it a difficult choice for Union Democrats. He made it easy when he chose to abandon that assembly seat and go up against Joe Cryan. And I think from that moment on, his fate was kind of sealed in this primary campaign. And Joe Cryan is, without a doubt, he is a liberal Democrat. He's a party guy, but he's got a a record in the legislature that has been solidly liberal going back 20 years. Was was there any chance that Holly was going to be able to come in with that vaccination record and, and take him out? No, Joe Cryan is a smart politician. He 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 knows the issues. He knows the legislature. He works it. Um, and and he a former state chair. Um, he was going to take nothing for granted, and uh, and he worked hard at it. And uh, and I just don't think he left any opening for Holly at all. Okay. Well, Michael Rasmussen, director of the Revovich Institute of Politics, uh, New Jersey politics at Ryder. Great to have you on again. Thank you. And we'll do this again. Thank soon. you, David. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.